Uh, good afternoon, everyone. I'm Panos Katsambas. I'm a partner with Reed Smith in London, heading our funds group. Uh, and it's an honor to be here today at Posidonia 2018. A big thanks to Nicolas Bornozis and the Capital Link team. Um, our topic in this panel is to talk about private equity and capital markets in shipping and essentially touch upon the different types of financing options available to ship owners in an era where traditional bank debt is more difficult to source than ever. Uh, we have a great panel that captures the whole spectrum of uh, alternative finance and capital markets uh, between uh, having private equity investors, alternative uh, debt finance providers, and traditional investment bankers in the shipping space. We will explore the current trends with our panelists, and with that, I would like them to introduce themselves and uh, give us a, a, an initial view of the current trends they see in the market and how they position their respective organizations to tackle uh, new opportunities. Um, Krista, why don't we start with you and then we can go down the table. Yes, please. Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Krista Volpicelli. I run City's investment banking team based out of New York. I'm responsible for covering all sectors of shipping uh, and helping companies access both the debt and equity capital markets as well as M&A advisory. Um, in terms of briefly commenting on what we see as the trends today, um, I think some of it is just how we're spending our time. I'm spending more than half of my time on M&A advisory today. Uh, whereas three years ago, that was skewed towards new IPOs. Um, IPOs may come back, but in a much smaller way. Um, we do believe at City that the capital markets are playing an increasingly important role for shipping companies. Um, we've seen some challenges to that over the last three years. Uh, and that's really just a function of what's been happening in each of the segments of shipping. But as financing becomes uh, more discerning in terms of owners, we think that the capital markets are here to stay. And really it is a question about how to access them. I think what we, where we differentiate ourselves at City is that we have a dedicated team with long time consistency across the shipping sector. Um, we've been here for a long time, both on the lending side and the investment banking side. And so what we bring is uh, the strength of the boutique firms in terms of a very specialized knowledge of the sector and knowledge of investors and knowledge of how to structure transactions. But we combine that with one of the largest equity capital markets franchises on Wall Street. So during times when shipping markets are slower, we're still in the markets talking to investors every day. Uh, and so we can help our shipping clients when it's time for them to access the markets effectively. Uh, Jim. Hi, I'm Jim Sorenza. I'm responsible for the security sales operations at DNB internationally. I've been in the market for just over 35 years now. As far as the biggest trend, finally, after four years of record M&A activity globally, the shipping and offshore industries have decided to join the party in the last year. Companies that are raising money for accretive growth 
or consolidation have had a much easier time accessing the capital markets and have done so on a much cheaper basis, whether it's debt or equity. That being said, most of the consolidation has taken part so far with a combination of shares and cash. But with so many sectors, with the, with the shares trading cheaper than the ships, alternative sources of capital are obviously stepping into play. And some of these gentlemen can talk about those areas. We've seen ourselves getting more involved in convertible bonds. And what DNB has done in the past year, despite MIFID, despite some margin pressure in some aspects of our business, we've grown our international sales force in New York and London, and we've, we've grown our placing power for debt capital markets, equity capital markets, and convertible bonds. Thank you. Hi, my name is Nicholas Duran. I'm a um, partner and director in Firmly Securities Investment Banking Division. Uh, I divide my time between uh, equity, M&A, and alternative finance. I think in general, we see um, a significant growth in demand for shipping and offshore um, among a broadening universe of uh, investors. If you go back two years, uh, it started off in the bottom cycle with uh, players like Norwegian family offices, specialized hedge funds, and, and deep value buyers. Then we saw um, the negative cash flows being uh, reversed, and you started to see the universe expanding into uh, Nordic and UK long funds, as well as a broader range of hedge funds and family offices. And today, now, finally, we start to see um, some of the U.S. long-only funds um, and other long-term investors coming back into the market, showing real demand. We definitely see an increasing demand for alternative financing. Uh, that's, of course, due to the retreat of, of uh, traditional senior debt um, from, from the industry, as we've heard of from several players earlier today. Um, and we believe that the cost of capital is going up for that reason, to, uh, especially for senior debt and, and leasing, up to a level more similar to um, or more along the lines of what senior uh, or secured bonds costs, and therefore we think we'll see an increased demand for that uh, product as well. We also see an increased need for equity going forward uh, to displace uh, the, the withdrawal of the lenders and a general unwillingness to lever as highly as we move up through the cycle. Um, and maybe the last and, and most interesting trend that we feel strongly about is the focus on uh, the new regulatory environment coming in 2020. Several speakers on other panels have spoken about that, but we see that uh, there's an extremely rapid growth in uh, investor interest and attention to that uh, topic. Uh, investors want to know what that will mean for the industry and what's the best way to play that impact. We, as the um, Astrid Fernley Group, have spent a lot of time with our deep industry, industry knowledge in um, mapping that topic, figuring out what it means and how to best position yourself. And uh, combined with Fernley's uh, increase in market share on raising equity in the last few years, we think we're in a pretty good position to assist our clients moving forward. Uh, good afternoon. I'm Paulo Almeida. I'm one of the two partners running the private equity business at Tufton Oceanic. Um, our private equity business includes a number of private funds that we um, invest in uh, shipping 
um, on behalf of pension funds, and as of December of last year, we also have a listed um, shipping fund. Uh, it's listed in London, uh, where most of the underlying investors are also uh, pension funds. The, some of the current trends that we see, um, not necessarily just in shipping, but in the um, capital markets and um, macroeconomy overall, which are relevant to shipping, Investors are continuing to look for yield. Um, investors are continuing to look for asset classes that aren't correlated to the high exposures that they have in listed equities, uh, property, and other traditional asset classes. So um, even looked at on a very um, rough basis, shipping is probably um, one of the asset classes with the lowest correlation to equities over the past nine years or so because equities have been almost entirely in a very strong bull market while shipping for most of the past nine years has been in a pretty poor uh, bear market. So investors are increasingly interested in investing in shipping provided the structure is correct and I think we'll come back to structures uh, later on um, uh, in Panos's uh, agenda. Two, uh, two more things we see. One is that the dry bulk recovery, which is maybe for the industry starting to become slightly ancient history, um, I'm not sure it's been talked about as much um, as it was last year, say. The dry bulk recovery, which was supply side driven, is extremely positive for um, the right structures in the industry because it proves the supply side recovery can happen and can happen very quickly. And then finally, with bank debt becoming um, less available generally, that also creates a lot of opportunities, which some of the other panelists have already talked about, so I won't dwell on that. How have we taken advantage of that? We've raised a lot of capital over the past three to four years, and we've been deploying um, a significant amount of capital. Um, we now have about $1.1 billion invested in different types of ships, which we'll come back to later. Um, which has all been done over the past few years. Hi, my name is Michael Weiss. I am the founder and president of Yield Street. Yield Street is a New York-based fintech company, and our mission is to really redefine global wealth management. We feel that for the longest period of time, individual investors as well as family offices and others have had very, very limited investment opportunities to create wealth and passive income. What we've seen is in the alternative investment space, specifically asset-based and non-correlated product has largely been dominated by hedge funds and other major institutions. My background for the last 10 years has been in asset-based lending and alternatives. So what we do at Yield Street is we look to identify markets and investment opportunities where there is some level of capital inefficiency, and we think that we can take advantage and create some alpha for our investors. Now, the way we operate is slightly different than most other companies that you may have been exposed to. We sit with a large balance sheet, we fund every transaction on our balance sheet, and then later on, we utilize our platform to distribute those investments in a smaller investment amount. So we currently have over 50,000 users in every state in five countries. And ultimately what we'll do is, if we get into a particular 20, $30 million deal, we'll fund it on our balance sheet, 
and then later distribute it. So Yield Street is invested in many different asset classes. Some are more common, for example, commercial real estate or receivable finance. And then we're also in some more esoteric areas like litigation finance, including law firm loans, commercial case portfolios, et cetera. Over the last 15 months, we have been spending time researching and trying to learn as much as we can about the maritime and the marine finance industry. And ultimately, we decided that the opportunity set that's available in this market is something that's exciting to us and intriguing. So what we look to do as we enter each of these marketplaces is to identify certain experts to work with us and to partner with us and to lead our efforts. So many of you know, but my dear colleague, George Kambanis, is leading the Yield Street Marine Finance business that we have. The way we intend to operate in this business is to partner with best-in-class operators, owners, and ship managers, as well as other lenders and financiers in the space to provide additional capital to the market. What we look at ourselves as doing is providing another level of validation for the marine finance industry as it is today. What we have found is that in the last 10 years or so, there has been a tremendous exit of capital from traditional banks and ultimately private equity following it. But like Paolo just said, we're noticing a nice uptick in certain of the assets, including dry bulk, in this space. So at Yield Street, we intend over the next six to eight months to deploy several hundred million dollars into the space. And uh, we've already closed our first few transactions over the last five weeks. So we are very excited to be providing capital here to the market. Um, ultimately, what we see is that there is an opportunity in some subsets of the marine finance business where the asset values have come down to appropriate levels whereby the rental and charter income are already making attractive cash on cash returns going in. Whereas other subsectors, the rental income and the charter income has slowly come up, but the asset values have not come down enough to really make sense from an investor standpoint. So we continue to watch the markets and hopefully expand as a preeminent player in the maritime business. Uh, thank you, Michael. Yeah, may I ask, touching upon your, your last comments and, and, and hear a bit more about how you differentiate your offering from the more traditional private equity approach into shipping? Sure. So our approach is very specific at the moment. So what we are really looking for is, you know, in all of our businesses that we're in, I always say we bet on the jockey. So we're looking for the right operators who have at least a fleet, a concurrent fleet in some recent period of seven to ten vessels. We think that the organization and the operations of a ship management business need to be of certain size. And at about seven to 10 vessels is where you really gain efficiency in your team. If you have too few vessels, you still need all those people. So that's one thing is the type of owner operator that we're looking for. The second is we're specifically, like I mentioned a moment ago, looking at opportunities that make sense from an investor standpoint going in. The third is we've met with many different ship owners over the last number of months as we've been researching the industry. And from our standpoint, the reason that we're attracted to the marine business today is because we think that the assets are getting are cheap or some will get a little bit cheaper, that there will be opportunities to make money in the market. So specifically, we're looking for owners and operators and other lenders to partner with that are mostly focused on the investment. So we need people who understand that there's an opportunity, who want to go in and take advantage of a particular growth market that they believe hopefully might occur and support that as opposed to being long-term players 
in the industry. I think that based on our cost of capital and the style of investments we make, we're not your 10 to 20 year lender, we're more your three to five year lender. So I think we have to be a little bit more specific as to the types of opportunities that we go after. The other side of our business is we understand that the banks that are still providing capital in the market are incredibly conservative and they're really offering attractive rates but at very low loan to values. We think there's an opportunity to partner with them as a mezzanine partner. So for those of you that are owners and operators and need to get to a certain leverage point but your banks are only willing to give you part of that capital stack, we could be considered a good partner to work alongside those banks. So that's really the focus that we're going to be going after and that we've already been deploying capital into. Thank you, Michael. And Paolo, turning to you, can you give us a bit more detail around the type of deals that private equity is looking into today and how sort of lessons learned perhaps over the last eight years of this new era of private equity investing into shipping has, is affecting and, and has changed your current mindset? Well, what, what we do, what we are doing currently at Tufton, so I can't speak for, for um, competitors and others, especially because, as, as um, I often say, the, one of the words, one of the two words in private equity is private, and therefore sometimes you don't know, or most of the times you don't really know what most of the other people um, are doing. But I think it's fair to say that um, over the past couple of years, there's been um, a fair amount of activity in container ships. Um, we have been quite active in that space. Um, I see uh, one of our uh, um, colleagues from Borealis in the audience, they've been fairly active as well. And of course, everyone knows the, about MPC. Um, so container ships has been in, in, in an area where the supply side recovery, at least for smaller ships, is visible. And I think that underlying investors having seen the supply side recovery happen and happen quite quickly and strongly in dry bulk um, have confidence that the same thing can happen with smaller um, container ships. Maybe some of the other panelists can add what they've seen some of the bigger generalist firms doing in, um, in the space. We are not aware of too much and I think that's probably been the case for the past three or four years, although there's always rumors that someone who didn't get involved three or four years ago, five years ago, when there was a lot of private equity coming into the business, were coming in. But we, we haven't seen very much. We have seen, of course, some private equity-led consolidation in both private companies and listed companies, which we see as very positive. Yeah, and I guess, thank you for that, Paul. And I wanted to touch up in a bit on the consolidation uh, side of things and a, a big theme around private equity investing into shipping is how do they exit and, and how do they get their money back and every everybody on a deal when they look to partner with a private equity is sort of the big elephant in the room what happens when they say we want out we've seen recently some activity that sort of showcases the interplay between capital markets and private equity where the capital markets and listed vehicles were able to utilize their platform and, and offer exit opportunities to, to private equity investors, but also very significantly a, a consolidation play for some um, ship owners as well. Krista, you want to comment a little bit about some of these deals and how these options can be available going forward and, and whether ship owners with smaller fleets can consider, you know, 
selling their fleet into a listed vehicle in exchange of shares and how that can, can shape the, the market going forward? Sure, I'm happy to start. Um, <clears throat> we believe that we will see more of this. Um, if you go back a couple of years, um, in 2015, we helped take two um, tanker companies public in the US and then the markets closed. Um, we had a backlog of many IPOs um, for later 2015, which never were able to come to market, and many of those were private equity backed. And so I guess this also goes to the question of what are, what are some of the bigger private equity firms doing? There are quite a few uh, who do have platform investments which they need to exit. I think in this kind of environment, you know, you've seen several examples now of um, all stock consideration transactions, which allows companies to uh, merge their operations on an NAV to NAV basis. It allows for an equitable um, contribution ratio in terms of what each uh, set of stakeholders get. It prevents uh, a company from monetizing at NAV. And for you know, the financial investors who are part of those transactions who over the long term are likely to see, want to have an exit, it gives them a larger platform, um, which means greater trading liquidity um, and an ability to affect that exit more efficiently. Um, and it also gives the shareholders the ability to participate in the upside and equity value as hopefully things uh, recover in whatever sector it is. So um, we think that the market has received um, several of the transactions that have been announced very well, and we would expect more to come. Uh, Jim, in your view, what is the biggest barrier for the, the capital market, especially in New York, to reopen uh, the way we had seen them in the past? Is that sort of driven by investor appetite? Is there uh, changes in the features of the offerings that, that uh, the shipping industry is doing? Is it, is it size? What, what, what do you think is the, 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 the biggest issue? We'll tackle this in a couple ways. First of all, if you want to look at shipping relative to other investments, so I can only think of one listed ETF, and the symbol is C, S-E-A. And it was launched in June of 2010. And if you invested in that in June of 2010, with dividends, you lost slightly less than half your money. Had you put your money into the S&P 500, you would have made a mere 190% return on your money. So barriers to entry, number one, reasonable return outlook. Barriers to entry, number two, size and liquidity. Um, as we look at what's going on, if a company wants to get attention and if a company wants to raise money, whether it's debt or equity at attractive levels, a growth story and a consolidation story goes a lot further than a, than a firming up the balance sheet story. And one more thing just to add to the M&A cycle and private equity, Private equity has not dominated the M&A picture since 2006 and 2007. You look at what's gone on in the last 17 quarters with 17 consecutive quarters of a trillion dollars of announced M&A deals, the debt financing and the equity financing around those deals is a small percentage and the private equity influence in that has been modest. I believe that it's the corporate activity, not the private equity activity that's gonna drive the consolidation. Uh, Nicholas, can you let us know how the, the Norwegian markets can, can offer a differentiating 
um, approach into, into a new shipping group looking to access the capital markets? Absolutely. Well, we've seen that the interest in the Norwegian market, at least these days, has been uh, primarily for companies offering uh, older assets at very attractive prices, which was the case with MPC when we did all the various capital raises for them. You know, you're buying feeder container ships uh, 10 years old at, at scrap price or scrap value, basically. Um, now, increasingly, we're seeing interest for companies that are optimally positioned for the new regulatory environment in 2020, companies like uh, Hunter and, and Bulkers 2020. Granted, Hunter is a fully listed company, but Bulkers 2020 was, was not, or is not. In general, I'd say, and this has been said many times before, the Norwegian marketplace is definitely the place to go for new entrants, uh, given time to market, uh, cost efficiency, and the documentation light process. However, it's important to note that the Norwegian market for new companies is far less open uh, than what people seem to uh, believe. We get a lot of incoming calls from various size and type shipping companies that want to uh, do an NOTC or Mercury listing. And uh, we believe that positive differentiation is the key. It's the only way you're going to avoid being looked at as just another shipping company. And if you are, you'll only compete on price and you'll lose that battle every day of the week. So we think uh, in order to raise meaningful capital on the uh, Oslo market, be NOTC or, or Mercure, uh, I think you need to differentiate yourself. You have to come with a unique story. If not, you're going to be beaten up by, by pricing. Thank you. I'd like to raise two additional topics and, and, and get the commentary from um, each one of you. The first one is we started the panel by saying that opportunities uh, come about by, by the fact that traditional bank financing is, is um, scarcer and scarcer these days. I wanted to get your views on what you see the future of, of uh, the, the banking uh, shipping space will be and whether you see that there are opportunities for that market to, to come back to, to levels of the past. And then you know, kind of a, a secondary twist to that is how, if at all, the market is being affected by uh, secondary NPL sales that we've been seeing over the last few years, um, uh, several European banks doing, and, and the buyers of those loans tend to be uh, private equity players, obviously approaching the market from a different standpoint. But do you see any impact in the broader market from, from such activity? Um, Krista, you want to start? Sure. Uh, I think your first question was, what do we see happening to bank financing in, in shipping? And um, I think in my opening comments, I mentioned that, that we believe that the capital markets are becoming increasingly important. We think that lenders are becoming more discerning in terms of um, the kinds of loans they're making, the types of companies they're, they're trying to lend to. And that's also created all sorts of alternative uh, finance venues for companies to access traditional secured bank lending, albeit at perhaps an, an expensive cost. Um, you know, interest rates are going up, um, as, as one general comment. Um, and so I think that you will continue to see bank financing be a dominant source of financing for the industry. Uh, we do believe that that will, will remain. I think you will also see um, alternative um, debt sources. So 
for larger shipping companies, um, the bond markets are absolutely open, and for companies who establish access, um, it can be an efficient source over time. We have relatively few examples of that, um, and that's just a, a legacy issue of companies either being too small or having uh, just very prevalent access to bank financing, but we think that that, that, that will change over time. Jim, your thoughts on this, please? Uh, I don't know if it's my prediction or if it's my wish. I, I wish that banks, and I believe that banks will show more discipline. I believe that private equity will show more discipline. And with upcoming uncertainty, there's opportunity. And the regulations that kick in in 2020 and the high steel prices of today, making scrapping look so interesting, and the notion of slow steaming again, the opportunities for cycles to get longer for these, for these companies to be more profitable for longer periods of time, to me, all this uncertainty with some discipline could lend to a very investable market for many years to come. So I don't know if it's my prediction or, or my wish. But. I'd like to add to that and just say that um, we as a group in Astro Fernley are extremely um, confident and optimistic about the shipping and offshore market going forward in general. In fact, more optimistic than we've been for many years. I think one other important difference, in addition to the topics touched upon around uh, you know, access to senior debt shrinking and, and maybe a lot of private equity having burnt their fingers and, and not being as, uh, as active, is we believe that um, as opposed to the previous synchronized recovery, which we saw you know, at the beginning of the previous shipping boom, we believe that this time, for the last eight, nine years, a lot of investors have lost a lot of money on several companies, to a large part due to uh, bad management and poor corporate governance. What we see now is that investors are increasingly educated um, they've done their homework and they have far more stringent uh, requirements before investing in terms of those two topics. And we think that's going to be key. If you don't have good corporate governance, you're not going to be able to raise substantial capital. Let, let, me, let me touch on this briefly and then I'd like to get Paolo's comment on it. But Nikos, what, what are the changes in the governance structure or the key features that you think shipping companies should have to, to be able to access, whether it's private equity money or, 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 or money from the public markets? And, and why do you think there were failures um, in the past that you mentioned? The question was for me, Pano. Uh, I guess first ah, perhaps sorry. for Nicholas, and then I'd, I'd be keen to, for your commentary as well. Well, um, in terms of things that have gone wrong for um, listed shipping companies. I think the, the, the list, of course, is, is quite long, but you mentioned governance and structure. Clearly, um, some, of the, some of the things that have... Um, governance is an issue, uh, which I'll come back to. Um, capital structure has been an issue um, in shipping. Um, this goes back to what Jim was saying about lenders uh, hopefully becoming more um, sensible uh, in the future. Clearly, a lot of shipping companies had far too much debt while having a ton of operating leverage at the same time because that's what the markets wanted in 2006, 2007, 2008. A lot of, market ex lot of spot market exposure, a lot of debt, which the two put together obviously is a toxic cocktail. So capital structures is pretty important in matching 
capital structure to operating leverage is, uh, is important. Governance has been a problem for certain companies. Um, I mentioned earlier uh, that we at Tufton raised a public listed uh, shipping fund uh, in December. We have something that's quite um, usual in the UK market, which is the concept of a continuation vote. So um, if we haven't hurt, hit certain targets by the third anniversary of our fund, investors get to vote on whether we sell the ships or we keep going. And a simple 50% majority determines what we do. So if they don't like what's going on, if we're trading at 80% of NAV, super easy solution to that. We take 12 to 18 months for an orderly sale of the ships and return 100% of NAV to investors, which is not something that most listed shipping companies can do. Um, and in addition to that third uh, anniversary trigger, then there's a seven year trigger and every three years after that, same thing. If the market is too toppy and we're not making new investments, investors can vote to take their cash back, which we think is a very, very sound structure uh, in shipping, because as we've seen uh, in the past, listed companies have been very challenged in selling assets um, and often wind up selling assets at the wrong time and buying assets at the wrong time. So a structure that addresses that, which is we think is what we've done, um, we think is part of the future of shipping in the public capital markets. So I think uh, a lot of the panelists made, um, made some great points. And with regards to the bank's willingness um, to re-enter the market in a stronger way, I think that I would add to what many of you have said, where they're going to be focused a little bit more deeply on the fundamentals of the underlying trades. So just understanding where the asset values are and feeling comfortable and the underlying cash and cash returns, as well as the overall operator's business, the overall finance that uh, are inside that business and the capital structure, as well as increased transparency around the overall relationship between the borrower and the bank. I think that um, if you look back at the last shipping boom, most investors wanted to be a part of that asset class like we all do when there's a boom in any market. Everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon when people are making money. But over the last 10 years, there's been incredible amount of volatility in this industry that I think has overall made some of the, uh, or most of the investors pretty, uh, pretty afraid to continue. So I think before you see a tremendous amount of capital re-enter the market, there's gonna need to be a sense of stability or a real consensus of true high growth. Which, uh, which is difficult to, to come by. Um, with, the, with the bond markets open, alternative lenders, platforms like ours, I think that there will be a sense of competition slowly come back into the market over the next two, three years, and competition is good. It will require the banks to find a way to deploy capital, or to at least work with them. I also think that the structure, like you guys were talking about, is critical. Um, one of the things that Yield Street is utilizing to create some sort of finality or some sort of um, limit to our exposure on duration is the use of RBI insurance. I know that it's, uh, it's been actively used in the, air, in, the, uh, in the aircraft industry for a while, but it's been very difficult um, or nearly impossible to get done in this industry. I could tell you that we have closed two transactions with it. It took us a long time 
to be able to structure the RVI policies in a way that we felt comfortable as investors and lenders would give us the liquidity when we needed it and how we needed it, and we ultimately have. If that product develops and if the insurance markets open up to it, I think that that will be a tool that can be utilized by banks and investors in the bond markets to create some, some closure on the duration risk as well as the underlying asset protection. And um, I also think that you know, for, for, for Europe, it's slightly in its infancy, this idea of crowdsourcing and crowdfunding. But what we believe in at Yield Street is that the power of the masses is really untapped and underappreciated. So we're sitting with 50,000 investors and users today. What does that look like at a million people? Right? There is no institution at that time that's bigger or greater or can raise different sources of capital. What it does give us, however, is true flexibility. Most institutions require a particular box to be in. When you have a huge diversified capital base, you're going to have investors that want to be on the equity side of the trade, that want to be on the super senior side of the trade. So our ability over time to continue to expand the strategy and to develop flexible capital and to work with banks and alternative lenders and equity partners alike are, is going to be very compelling to the marketplace and I think that it's going to add a benefit to the overall ecosystem. With regards to your point about NPLs and how that, you know, may add value or make a difference in this market, I think that you know, we've seen NPLs in, in different industries, especially over the last number of years, where I think the opportunity exists is the right capital partners together with the right operators, figuring out where there's value that they can take advantage of buying a pool of NPLs and managing the vessels with the right operators across the board. That will present some value to the industry. I'm not convinced that it'll change the industry dynamically. It may give opportunity to some of the bigger and, and, and more uh, conservative and more well-footed players in the market. Okay, thank you. We're, we're pretty much running out of time, but before we close, Krista, any final remarks before we, we close the, the session? Um, sure, I mean, we talked about trend beginning, I guess how I would conclude. Shipping is an industry that's, that's not going away. Um, it's the foundation of, of global trade, and it's a complex industry where management teams are thinking about the environment, they're thinking about safety, they're thinking about how to deal with um, changing global trade patterns, um, and how to deal with technology shifts. And you know, more than ever, it's important to have a company with the right capital structure, the right management team, and the right um, instincts to be able to manage through this market and if all those things are there the capital will follow and uh, we're here to help okay well thank you all very much thanks to our audience for listening and to our panelists I hope you find it informative a lot of ideas a lot of products available a lot of different angles to approach uh, whether it's a private equity or, or, or the capital markets um, um, some food for thought for sure uh, hope to see you all back in uh, in two years